You're listening to a Dharma talk from Sunday Morning Zen, a program of the Zen Life and Meditation Center of Chicago. Uh, before I started, one thought I had about how we could uh, su support our home practices here. I was, I think I saw this in the New York Times this morning. It was a good article about, by a journalist that had been isolated in some foreign country during a war, and they asked her how she got by being in lockdown. And one of the, a couple of things she said kind of, I thought were useful. And the one was to, if you're not used to being in your home, if you work outside and now you're working at home, it might be a little disorienting for you. So it could probably, it's probably very useful to create structure for yourself. And uh, it might be also very useful, like at meals, to actually have meals together and not uh, have just take your meal and sit in front of your computer or your TV. When you create little rituals to be together, um, it, just, it, it just gives your daily routine some order and something that helps you feel like you're in, you're in control when you're moving towards something. So I would, I mean, I'm gonna create a whole retreat schedule and continue with my personal retreat this next week, but that's just, that works for me. So um, that was one thing. Uh, if you really start to feel you're getting stir crazy, you can, I think you can still go out and take a walk. Yeah, yeah. And again, we wanna really be aware of, we do have members that are elderly and, and some are really not able to go out and we're trying to, if you're willing to do any deliveries, Carol or others, um, we wanna be uh, continually inviting those people to make it known that they need assistance and we'll try to support them by bringing supplies or, or food or whatever they need. Yeah. So I'm gonna start by uh, reading uh, something that I got a couple of days ago. This was, is by Christian, uh, Kristen Flins. And I, uh, she's in the um, voice dialogue community and sent this to Hal, to Hal Stone, Hal and Sidra Stone. And then I think it made its way into a video in, a, in Italian. And the wording is actually a little different in that video. But uh, I think you'll get the, the gist of it from this reading. And this is, uh, this is what the, if the, if the COVID-19 virus had a voice, this is what it might sound like. And it's called Stop. Stop, just stop. It is no longer a request. It is a mandate. We will help you. We will bring the supersonic high-speed merry-go-round to a halt. We will stop. The planes, the trains, the schools, the malls, the meetings, the frenetic furry brush of illusions and obligations that keep you from hearing 
our single and shared beating heart, the way we breathe together in unison, our obligation is to each other, as it has always been, even if, even though you have forgotten. We will interrupt this broadcast, the endless cacophonous broadcast of divisions and distractions to bring you this long breaking news. We are not well. None of us, all of us are suffering. Last year, the firestorms that scorched the lungs of the earth did not give you pause, nor the typhoons in Africa, China, Japan, nor the fevered climates in Japan and India. You have not been listening. It is hard to listen when you are so busy all the time hustling to uphold the comforts and conveniences that scaffold your lives. But the foundation is giving way. Buckling under the weight of your needs and desires. We will help you. We will bring the firestorms to your body. We will bring the fever to your body. We will bring the burning, searing, and flooding to your lungs. That you might hear, we are not well. Despite what you might think or feel, we are not the enemy. We are messenger, we are ally, we are a balancing force. We are asking you to stop. Be still, listen. To move beyond your individual concerns and consider the concerns of all to be with your ignorance, to find your humility, to relinquish your thinking minds and travel deep into the mind of the heart. To look into the sky streaked with fewer planes and see it, to notice its condition, clear, smoky, smoggy, rainy, how much do you need it to be healthy so that you may also be healthy? To look at a tree and see it, to notice its condition, how does its health contribute to the health of the sky, to the air you need to be healthy? To visit a river, to see it, to notice its condition, clear, clean, murky, polluted, how much do you need it to be healthy so that you may also be healthy? How does its health contribute to the health of the tree who contributes to the health of the sky so that you may also be healthy? Many are afraid now. Do not demonize your fear. 
and also do not let it rule you. Instead, let it speak to you in your stillness. Listen for its wisdom. What might it be telling you about what it is at work, at issue, at risk, beyond the threats of personal inconvenience and illness? As the health of a tree, a river, the sky, tells you about quality of your own health, what might the quality of your health tell you about the health of the rivers, the trees, the sky, and all of us who share this planet with you? Stop. Notice if you are resisting. Notice what you are resisting. Ask why. Stop. Just stop. Be still. Listen. Ask us what we might teach you about illness and healing, about what might be required so that, so that all may be well. We will help you if you listen. So uh, I found that very powerful. And I think that perspective is a useful one to listen and to be still. And I think that's why in this extraordinary time, all of you have had some kind of a meditation practice. Of, I would highly recommend that you establish that in your home. Think of your home as a temple and that you really, it, it may be hard, but just uh, root yourself in the earth. Root yourself on your cushion, on your chair, and sit still. And it, it may not be easy. Sometimes it's not. But it's, I think it's required that we be still and, and not just go with all the ideas and impulses that come up in a kind of frenetic way. And, when we're, and in fact, when we're doing these kinds of things on Zoom, I, I also recommend that you not multitask. There's a temptation to do that because you're in your home. So sandwich your day with a, a meditation practice in the morning and the evening, and then you, you sandwich your day with that intention. So I was going to do this um, feeding the demon uh, practice with you this morning, and I decided to wait. And I'll do that. Uh, we'll send out a notice um, in the next few days, and I'll do it on Wednesday or Thursday. And again, I think it's a really very powerful upaya for transforming whatever fear you have or anxieties coming up into your uh, creative uh, bodhisattva energies that are very much needed at this time. So along those lines, I thought I would talk about the Vimalakirti Sutra. It came up, June gave, uh, talked about the, uh, what was it? June, what was the phrase, the? Um, the accumulation of fragrances. Yeah, there's a piece at, towards the end of the sutra where um, 
there's a whole chapter that I skipped and didn't read when I was studying this last time, but uh, I think Sensei will talk about it next week in her Dharma talk. But I wanted to talk about the Vimalakirti Sutra. It just seems to me very appropriate at this time and place. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful sutra, very accessible. And it was very popular in China. Uh, and one of the reasons it was popular because it was uh, about a lay person, Vimalakirti. And he uh, was always giving monks their comeuppance. And uh, lay people love to see uh, lay, a lay person, uh, you know, uh, kind of showing up a monk. And so uh, this is a, a story about uh, the monks, uh, disciples of Buddha visiting Vimalakirti. And uh, it's also a story about generate developing a peaceful and generous heart in a world of sorrows a peaceful and generous heart um it's a sutra that is uh kind of uh in the kind of the inter intermediate period between the, the trans moving into the mahayana Buddhist tradition from the traditional Hinayana. And it uh, developed about 500 years after the death of Buddha. And um, it came about in the Axial Age. And, uh, you know, the Axial Age was a, an enormous time of growth of, of most of the world's major religions came out of the Axial Age. Christianity, Buddhism, uh, uh, Islam, and, but it was also, uh, interestingly enough, it was a, a time of enormous amount of violence because they in, they invented the um, uh, they invented iron, and so they could make better weapons for killing people, and they did. They made better weapons, and they killed more people. And it was a time when there was a kind of transition taking place from the uh, the mobile traditional culture of the Vedic uh, culture of India to a, a more uh, agricultural uh, culture that brought forth kings and empires and armies. And so it was a time of enormous upheaval. And isn't it interesting that in a time like that, the world's major religions came forth. And so one, of course, wonders if that might not be possible today. Wouldn't that be possible? If it was, wouldn't that be something we would want to work for? And uh, there's a story that happens in Buddhist life that it's not in the Vimalakirti Sutra, but it, um, to me, it represents a kind of amazing turning point in the whole story. And it's the story of Sujata who feeds the Buddha the milk, the, the, the village girl who has this dream. And in her dream, she dreams that she's, uh, to, she's supposed to go out and milk a hundred cows. I, it, I don't know the number exactly, I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing. And then she's to collect all that milk from the hundred cows and feed that milk to 50 cows, and then milk those cows, and feed that milk to 25 cows, and take that uh, 
take that milk and feed it to one cow and milk it and then get this very, you get the metaphor, right? She gave you a very rich bowl of milk. And then she's instructed in the dream to go out into the forest, go out into the, the wild forest where there's, uh, you know, bird, there's uh, pirates and thieves and uh, who knows out there. It's a wild land out there. People don't go just go walking into this forest. And she's instructed to take this milk out and give it to the first person she sees. And she does. This is the point. She actually trusts her unconscious. She trusts that dream and she doesn't, which is a, who would do that? But she does. And the, of course, the first person she meets is the Buddha who's practically dead because he's been practicing ascetic practices and she gives him the milk and it brings him back to health so that he now can go sit under the tree and, and reach enlightenment. Now, I think that's just a marvelous story. And I, I'm, maybe I'm making too much out of it, but I think there's something about the fact, and maybe she got in trouble for doing this when she came back to her home. They said, you went out to the, where did you go? Did you know how dangerous that was? But I, to me, that story represents some real shift from the axial age of, of a shift towards trusting the unconscious and something loving, a, a seed of love that comes out of that. And uh, to me, that's kind of, uh, that's a good reference point to have in this whole story. So I bring it up here. So when we, st when we start the Vimalakirti Sutra, we're in the Amra Gardens in Vaishali in Northeast India. And the Buddha has gathered together many of his disciples and bodhisattvas and lay people and various gods and other non-human beings, extraordinary collection of all kinds of people. And uh, among his disciples are also the, what are called the Pradyeka Buddhas, and we refer to them as the private Buddhas. These are the Buddhas that uh, are committed to waking up uh, from their own efforts, but have no desire to help anyone else in waking up. So, um, and it turns out that what we, what we hear from the, in the sutra at the beginning is this uh, lay person, very, very famous lay person, Vimalakirti, turns out he's ill, he's sick. But it also turns out that it's a ruse. He's not actually sick. He's pretending to be sick so that he can, people will come to visit him so he can teach them the Dharma. And he was an extraordinary teacher. And uh, so when the Buddha hears that he's sick, he, he's having this gathering with all his disciples and there's like 32,000 of them gathered here in this garden, this huge garden with, with the Buddha. And the Buddha says, you know what? Vimalakirti is ill. Would one of you like to go visit him? And no one steps forward to volunteer to visit him because they're all scared to death of going to see this dude because he's going to show him up and it's not going to go well for the for the month that does that. So they're all you know kind of uh, no no we don't want to go visit him. I'm sorry he's sick, but no I don't. So finally, Manjushri volunteers to go. Because Manjushri, he's a bodhisattva wisdom and the cutting sword. So, you know, he's the warrior. At least, 
least Manjur Sri will go to see him. And then once Manjur Sri says, I'm going to go, then all the others, they say, well, we'll go behind Manjur Sri because we want to see the show. You know, it's going to be a great show to see Manjur Sri and Bimalakirti meet. So they all troop on over to Bimalakirti's place. And there is these uh, series of incongruities and contrasts in the, in the sutra because we know that Vimalakirti is a very wealthy man, but he gives away all his money. He lives like a beggar. He has a large empire, a, a large estate with many people, but he's alone in a room 10 foot by 10 foot by himself. And they, so they all arrive at Vimalakirti's place and um, somehow all 32,000 of them miraculously managed to fit in this 10 by 10 foot room. And the first question out of uh, Shariputra's mouth to Vimalakirti is this. He says, he's, and uh, Shariputra is very concerned. He says, but sir, he's speaking to Vimalakirti. He says, but sir, uh, the room is completely empty. There are no chairs for any, anyone to sit down. So the fact that 32,000 people have managed to fit into the room without the room breaking or bulging or falling off its foundations doesn't seem to have occurred, even occurred to Shariputra. He doesn't seem to have noticed that miracle at all. All he's concerned about is they don't have chairs to sit down. So uh, Vimalakirti asks him, he says, so, um, um, so why have you come here today? Did you come here for happiness or peace of mind, for, for relief from suffering, for companionship? Are you willing to follow the way wherever it leads you, even if it's into a stuffy, sick room? So are you, are you more concerned with your comfort of sitting down or did you come here for some kind of teaching? And uh, so um, then, So then uh, um, Vimalakirti orders uh, uh, 32,000 lion throne chairs to come and be put in this room, 10, 10 foot by 10 foot. And somehow they all managed to fit in the room. And the sutra mentions that from the house, when you're looking at it from the outside, the walls are, are bulging. It's not falling off its foundation. And, and all these 32,000 dudes are all in the room sitting on lion throne chairs somehow, miraculously. Uh, Bhimalakirti is uh, uncompromising in uh, he's, one of the things he's saying is uh, you really, if you want to follow the way, you have to give up all these props you've been uh, studying. You have to give up all these things. You have to give up the Four Noble Truths, Nirvana, the Three Treasures, the Eightfold Path, this list of 16 things and the 32 unwholesome, whatever. You got to give up all those things. You, those are getting in the way of the wild and undomesticated Tao. Um, so, One of the things that is so moving, and I think why this uh, sutra is uh, relevant to us today, is that Vimalakirti has his um, allegiance to this world. 
complete, wholehearted, total allegiance to this world of suffering and disease and illness. And um, he embraces it completely. Uh, and, you know, he would say, this is the pure land. It's not somewhere else. It's in this smelly room with a sick person. There are many bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas don't come in one package. Uh, they're not all the same. And the sutra mentions many of them, so I'll, I'll just say some of them. There's the, um, there's the unblinking bodhisattva. There's the wonderful arm bodhisattva. There's the jewel hand bodhisattva. The lion mind bodhisattva. The pure emancipation bodhisattva. The universal maintenance bodhisattva. I think he may work on cars, the universal maintenance bodhisattva. Jewel Courage Bodhisattva, maybe he works at the drugstore, Jewels. Roots of Joy Bodhisattva. Sounds of Thunder Bodhisattva. Serene Capacity Bodhisattva. Store of Virtue Bodhisattva. Delights in the Real Bodhisattva. Viewing Equity Bodhisattva. Viewing Inequity Bodhisattva. Viewing equity and inequity bodhisattva, they're trying to cover all the ground, you know, not miss anything. Well, what kind of bodhisattva are you? Which one are you? Are you the fingers crossed bodhisattva? Are you not, not a bad morning bodhisattva? Are you flying by the seats, flying by the seat of your pants bodhisattva? <laughs> are you the stay at home bodhisattva? Are you the homegrown bodhisattva? Are you the all thumbs bodhisattva? Are you the Facebook bodhisattva? Which bodhisattva are you? Yeah, you, can, you got so much to choose from, choose one. So this is a sutra that's uh, looking at illness, looking at suffering, embracing it. And there's a, there's a wonderful uh, saying, it's a Japanese, from a Japanese folk song that says, then the brightness wanes and the darkness comes with love. The darkness comes with love. Vimalakirti isn't afraid to go anywhere. Many of these disciples are, many of these disciples are afraid of losing their purity, their reputation. Uh, they're very guarded. Uh, and Vimalakirti has no hesitation. He'll go anywhere. He'll go to the hospital. He'll be on the front lines. He'll work in the soup kitchen. He'll work in the homeless shelter. He'll work in the restaurant, cooking in the kitchen.
It's interesting the contrast here in the sutra between Manjusri and Bhimalakirti. Manjusri represents this lightning wisdom, this flash of the sharp sword of wisdom, the spirit, the, the clean cut, the aesthetic of Zen, the, 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 the kind of austere aesthetical quality of the spiritual path, which many of us find attractive and are drawn to on many levels. And Vimalakirti represents the, the slower moving beat of the heart, the body, the soul. The soul, which also loves this world and loves the complexities of this world and loves chocolate and fast cars, and sometimes even fast women. That's the soul. And we have both. We have the spirit and soul, and they're these kind of contrasting archetypes in us. And they know they both need to be fed in a, in a mature spiritual path. They both need to be honored. The soul puts flesh on the bones. Soul is about love. Soul cares about where your kids go to school. It cares about your dog your pets, your bird, your family. So we have these kind of two contrasts in the sutra and they're both, they're, they're both important. We need Manjusri, but sometimes wisdom gets out ahead of itself. And then uh, it's kind of painful because things are unbalanced. You can see clearly, but the heart is missing. The warmth and the humor and the tenderness is not quite there. So we need to, we need to retrieve the body and the heart, but we also need the clarity of spirit. We need them both. Manusri is always making discernments about things, always putting things, you know, dicing and cutting and putting things together. And uh, Bhimala Kirti just embraces all of it. And there's this beautiful tender thing that Bhimala Kirti says. He says, I am sick because the whole world is sick. And so Manjushri asks him, um, how did you get this? Manjushri is concerned about him being sick. How did you get this? And how long have you had this illness? And can it be extinguished? Will you survive this illness? And Bhimalakirti responds, I am sick because the whole world is sick. If everyone's illness were healed, mine would be too because bodhisattvas come into this world of birth and death for the sake of all beings. And part of being in this world of birth and death is getting sick. When everyone is liberated from illness, I will be too. There's a story in the Book of Serenity, a koan about Dongshan and he's dying. And the monk asks him, you're unwell. 
Is there someone, after all, who isn't sick? In other words, is there, the monk is asking, is there some eternal Buddha, some eternal part of you that isn't experiencing the sickness? And Dongshang says, there is. And the monk asks, does that one who isn't sick take care of you? But Dongshang says just the opposite. He says, actually, I'm taking care of that one. In other words, I who am sick, I'm taking care of the eternal Buddha. In other words, by being sick, I'm taking care of the one who isn't sick. I'm living my life as generous, generously as I can. And the monk asks, what's it like when you take care of that one? And Dong Chang says, then I don't see that there is any illness. I might be sick, but I don't have any preconceived ideas about what that is. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not thinking about illness as a failure. Let me be sick and find out what that means for me. Wow. And Manjushri continues to inquire about his illness. And Bhimala Kirti says, my illness comes from great compassion. And great in Chinese has the letter uh, implies both large and small. So it's the compassion of daily, the small compassion of putting your shoes by the door, washing your hands, cooking your breakfast, doing your exercises to make sure your knee comes back, exercising to make sure you're healthy in your home, getting a good night's sleep. And there's a large compassion of the Bodhisattva vow to save all beings. Both are at work in the world. And there's always this notion when we talk about the Bodhisattva vow that there's others out there to help us. We don't have to do it all by yourself. There are thousands and many bodhisattvas waiting to help you if you would just listen and ask for their help. We don't think like that. We like to think that, you know, it's all on us. And I think when you have that kind of attitude, you get easily stressed out because you don't see that there's love in the universe that can support you. You don't trust the universe. Bimalakirti accepts that to be alive is going to get dinged up. You know, it's going to get beaten up. And I love this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. I always love this. She says, you know, most of the work in the world is done by people who weren't feeling very well that day. The emphasis here on compassion is on what you do.
And sometimes we offer compassion and sometimes we receive it. Sometimes we're the guest and sometimes we're the host. So the sutra goes on. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because I want to have a little time for discussion, but the, uh, I do want to um, talk about just the last part. There's, it goes on and then uh, all of a sudden towards the end, uh, uh, this goddess mysteriously appears in the room and she, it turns out she's been in the room with Vimalakirti studying with him for the last 12 years, but no one has seen her until now. And she shows up because I guess she's moved by this, this discussion that's going on. And um, so she makes herself visible and showers down upon the whole assembly of, of flowers for everyone. And the flowers fall on all these monks and all the bodhisattvas. And, and the monks are trying to brush the flowers off. They're trying to brush them off their sleeves but they won't go off, they're sticking to their sleeves. So now they use all their super, supernatural powers that they've learned in their whole lifetime, their spiritual strength to try to brush the flowers off, but they still can't brush them off. And the discussion, uh, so, <laughs> uh, so the goddess uh, asks the monastics why they're trying to brush the flowers off and um, she asked Shariputra this, why, why would you try to remove the flowers? And Shariputra says, because the flowers are contrary to the teachings. Monastics are forbidden to adorn themselves. And the goddess replies, don't say these flowers are contrary to the teachings. They make no such discrimination for or against the teachings or anything else. You're the one generating discriminating thoughts. If someone who's left the householder to become a monk and follow the Buddhist way makes this kind of discrimination. That's contrary to the teachings. So you see the monks are, again, they're still kind of preoccupied with uh, preserving some kind of purity, uh, um, um, what they think of as purity. So that's a very much kind of a, a put down of the Hinayana path. And again, this embracing of this new uh, possibility with Mahayana Buddhism and the Bodhisattva Bala really embracing and being in the world fully as it is and not worrying so much about uh, how, how we're doing personally. There is no, there's no victory or failure in this realm at all. This doesn't even exist because it doesn't occur to a bodhisattva that they're failing or, or winning in anything. So let's see, I think that kind of covers the ground. So this room, this 10 by 10 foot room, this is, the, this, we're, this is our room, it's your room, it's your house, my house. We're all in this 10 by 10 foot room. And uh, how are we in this room together? How are we in this room? How are we going to occupy this room? And I think that's really the call on that each of us has now is how are we going to, what are we going to do in this room when there's no distractions anymore? We can't run out of the room. When things get rough, we have to stay in this room and look at ourselves and look at our world. 
from the perspective of this room. And this room is wherever we are. And it, it's interesting in the, in the Zen tradition, the, the Dotsan rooms are built in a traditional temple. They're built 10 by 10 to, because of this sutra in the room. So uh, Jung said, we don't hear, heal our symptoms, our symptoms heal us. And I think there's this, this whole, when, when I do this uh, facilitation with you later this week on feeding your demons, I think there's something really important here uh, for us to learn about stopping the, the metaphor of fighting everything is, it doesn't work. You can fight terrorists, but you get more of them. You can fight cancer, but people still die of it. And uh, you can fight the, the virus, and on some level we need to, but there's a whole other level we need to learn about, learn about listening and uh, feeding, uh, feeding uh, our illness, feeding our, our anger, feeding our fear. There's a beautiful story about Gandhi uh, when he was on, doing the salt protest in India, the British came to arrest him because he wasn't paying the salt tax. And they heard this British guy was going to show up in all his finery and stuff. And, and Gandhi's disciples said, shall we lay out nails on the road? So it break, you know, bust the tires when he, you know, drives up to the temple. And Gandhi said, oh, no, don't do that. Let's invite him to tea. So the guy comes in and sees Gandhi and Gandhi says, uh, you know, the guy's already, you know, I've come here to arrest you. You're not paying the salt tax. And Gandhi says, okay, fine, but let's have tea first. Okay. So they have a cup of tea and then the British guy says, okay, now let's get down to business. And Gandhi says, oh, let's have another cup of tea. Okay. And then he gives him some biscuits. And the guy says, well, those are pretty good biscuits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the tea, that, where do you get this tea? And they start to have a conversation and eventually they, the, the British guy says, well, okay, well, I'm not gonna arrest you today, but just, you know, don't do this anymore. Okay, have a good day. And he leaves. And you know, Gandhi did a revolution. He completely brought about the independence of India by feeding this guy tea. I'm, I'm exaggerating for the point of a story, but. I really think there's something important about learning to feed our, what we're afraid of, feed our illness, feed our fear, feed our anger. And uh, again, this uh, practice of feeding your demons is a very, very powerful way to do that in a very concrete uh, embodied way. We talk about our fear and our anger in, in disembodied abstract words that really don't have much power to do anything. So I'll leave it at that, and uh, oh wait, I'll leave you with a little poem. Uh, there's a Chinese poem, and it's, it goes as follows. You can light a lamp, but there's no oil in the house. It's a shame to want a light. I have a way to bless this poverty. Just feel your way along the wall. Oh, and then finally the sutra ends. I have to do the, the, the final piece of the sutra is this, this, the most famous silence in Buddhism is that um, uh, Bhimala Kirti asks the bodhisattvas how they're going to enter the gate of non-duality. And then they all give various kinds of answers. 
And Manjushri, of course, uh, gives a very wordy answer about it not being about words, which is ironic. And then uh, it comes to uh, Bhimalakirti and he is just silent. And it's the most famous, loudest silence in all of Buddhism. So that's how the, and then maybe the fragrant part comes in after that. And Sensei will talk about that next week. So I'm going to, let's see now, try to open this up so we can have some discussion, but I'm gonna do it in a structured way again. So if you have a comment, just raise your hand and I'll call out your name and then un unmute your mic. Uh, Carol? Is there a way you can put on or send us the stop poem that you read at the beginning? Either put it on the, your blog or put it on the ZLMC or send it to us because I would love to actually read that as often as I can. It's on our blog right now. Great, thank you. There's also a, an Italian version of it in a video that's quite lovely, but the wording is a little different, but it's the same idea. Anybody else? Mark? First of all, thank you, Roshi. That was great. Um, uh, two things. One is I'd also like you to put up the um, Chinese poem that you just read about put our hands against the wall. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I, um, I love the Vimalakirti Sutra. You and I have talked about it. I just, I think it's great. Uh, but there, there's another scene in the Lotus Sutra, which I think um, is really powerful and which uh, I was reminded of somehow uh, when you were talking about um, the, um, oh my gosh, who is it that's sitting there the whole time? Sorry, um, Kutra? Hmm? No, no, who's sitting there the whole time? I'm having a senior moment and hasn't been uh, seen by anybody. Um, the, oh, the, uh, the woman, the goddess? The goddess, thank you, the goddess. I kept thinking angel and I knew that wasn't right, the goddess. So in the Lotus Sutra, um, there's this dragon girl um, and the dragon, of course, dragons are, you know, these powerful, very um, important um, substantive beings in Buddhism. And this dragon girl uh, is gonna become a, a, a Buddha and, um, Everybody says, no, she can't, she's a, it's a, it's a dragon. And they said, not only that, but she's a girl. Mm -hmm. And of course, Buddhists can't be women. They don't have any of the 10 or 12 signs, you know, they're women. But lo and behold, she becomes a Buddha, you know? And the, the notion to me is, you know, we're just like, just like the goddess is there all the time, we are all Buddhas all the time. We just have to shut our ears, uh, shut our mouths, I mean, and open our eyes and our ears and just be. I, thank you for helping me remember that. It was really powerful for me right now, particularly right now when there's everybody saying, oh, there's this, there's that, this is the reason for it, this is the reason. Just shut up and do what you're supposed to do. Stay home, be smart. Thank you. 
Yes, uh, in Western mythology, a lot of the metaphors for dragons are, are killing them, you know, slaying them, St. George and the dragon. But uh, there's another possibility where you feed the dragon instead of slaying it, and then you have a different, you might have a very different result. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Robert? Um, I wanted to say that I found an article on the Atlantic as I was researching cancer. I, I just came through cancer surgery. It's very early stage. I'm going to be fine. But I found something on the Atlantic that says that the metaphor of fighting illness is actually being shown to cause more harm than good. And I'll send you that article, um, Roshi, because I think it plays right into this. Uh, one thing it says is... Uh, uh, some have suggested that viewing cancer as a fight can lead to maladaptive coping mechanisms and encourage emotional suppression, which depresses your ability to actually respond. So you feed instead of you suppress. It's just this whole thing with feeding your demons and, and viewing, the, viewing viruses and viewing illness as something to teach us, I think is really powerful. And there's starting to be actual evidence in the medical literature about it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we need tools for dealing with the uh, with our disowned energies in the shadow, and that's part of this. That's a spiritual practice uh, and a psychological one, and I think the two can be integrated through feeding the demons practice. So, yeah. Annie, hi, hi. Ah. Uh, unmute your microphone, Annie. <laughs> I'm so excited I could barely speak. <laughs> it's really wonderful to see everyone, and thank you. Are you in England? Yes, I'm still here, <laughs> and I have no idea when I'll be able to come back. <laughs> so there's a lot of not knowing, um, you know, in this day, and um, I'm really grateful to hear your talk. I got the time zone wrong. So I missed the meditation, but next time. And I also wanted to mention uh, that regarding Manjushri, that you know I think his sword is very power. It's very important today because so much of what's going on with the virus and the information that I have to cut through what I think is essential and what is just hysteria and panic and worry and to really look for the, the gift in all of this, the gift in the wound, the, the goodness that will come out of this. So thank you so much. Yes, uh, we need, I'm sorry, there was someone out in the front and I was looking. There's a, we need the cutting sword for sure. And it needs to be used skillfully, but we need to cut through confusion and uh, things that are not helpful meanness, bullying, misinformation, yeah. Oh, and if you have a pet, I see Mark pet, petting the cat, pet your cat. And if you have a loved one at home, I, I've heard it's really good to hug your loved one. We can't hug each other, but if you have someone at home, a pet or a cat, yeah, there you go, hugging. Hugging is very good. Anyone else? 
Anyone that hasn't spoken yet that would like to, Jackie? Un you gotta unmute your microphone, Jackie. There you Good go. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Sensei and everyone. Oh, okay, that's Declan. <laughs> there he is uh, practicing his meditation this morning. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Um, you know, I'm very moved this morning, and it's what's coming to me right now in terms of um, just feeling comfort is uh, your smile and your laughter, and um, just the way that you example, you know, letting what is just move in and through you. Um, that's very good for me. Um, but also I, and also, I am finding that somewhere in my mind, it came to me that I've been saying, oh, this happened a hundred years ago, H1N1 or the big plague or, and you know, this hasn't happened to me before. That's a story of something that had happened in history, but it's very easy for me to be like, this is what happened before and death and, you know, turmoil and, you know, just famine. And yes, these things have happened before, but it's very easy for me to make that my story of today. And I have, I have nothing, nothing. I mean, yes, it's a continuum, but really it, it's a way for me to avoid looking at what is happening right now. And there are so many blessings. I mean, technology that I usually avoid because I prefer a Rolodex and now wonderfully I can appreciate it. Um, just, you know, it's, it's a way for me to not be in the present, to take an old story and say that it's my story without any information, any knowledge, and then to think about the future and what's gonna happen when it all ends. You know, a month ago, I didn't know this was gonna be my circumstance or the world's circumstance. So I have no idea a month from now. But if I take a posture and one that isn't even real, uh, as a place for me to stay and hide, um, it's going to cause me and a lot of, you know, in the world, a lot of pain. So um, I enjoy how you take the history and the story and turn it into, you know, find the gift. Hello, Declan. Hello. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I will let someone else speak, but very grateful. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll let this one speak. Uh, something uh, you just suggested, Roshi, about uh, hugging. Uh, we said, uh, a 30 minute alarm on our phone yesterday and every 30 minutes we stop whatever we're doing. It's like a mindfulness hug and we hug. And um, the idea is that uh, it, it, as, as we get, uh, want to get out and get antsy, um, it just breaks it. it. It just stops it for that couple of seconds and uh, it brings us back together. Cool. Yeah, and you can hug yourself too. It gets... <laughs> Yeah, it's just kiss each shoulder. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't it marvelous that we, we're in this crisis and yet we're, and yeah, the technology, we're all too busy and, and it's causing us to slow down. Now we have a technology that we can connect in a new way. And I can see Annie in England, which I never would have had the opportunity to see you, Annie, if we weren't doing this Zoom. So there's new things possible in, in in the in the midst of this, uh, what what we're going through. I have a question, Roshi. Yeah. This is Christian. Um, could you repeat the name of the sutra that you were referencing? Uh, I want to write it down. It's called the Vimalakirti Sutra. Okay. It's spelled V-I-M 
B-I-M. B-I-M-A-L-A. A-L-A. Malakurti. K-I-R-T-I or something like that. Malakurti. Oh, you'll see it if you if you Google it, it'll come up. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Steve. Stephen. You got to unmute your, Stephen, you got to unmute your microphone. No. Yeah, okay. okay, now you hear me. Um, I just wanted to share that on our block here, um, we've been doing the eight o'clock going out, clapping, ringing bells, and um, honor. to honor the people on the front line, the healthcare workers, people in the grocery stores who are serving us. And um, last night, uh, decided to bring out music and it was Love Train by the OJs. And there was this dance party with plenty of room in the barren streets. And then another neighbor tonight is gonna to be choosing a song for tonight. I'm working on a playlist for our blocks that every night there's at least a five minute song and a five, five minute dance party in the street. And it's very invigorating and very positive. And I just would share that uh, if people want to do that. Um, we all had a lot of fun just one song, one dance, and it was beautiful. Nice. It's great to look forward to. And also, um, we can hear blocks all around us doing it. Ah. So starting to kind of catch on. <clears throat> Interesting how the crisis brings us together in ways that we might not have been together before to, to support each other. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. The virus doesn't know any boundaries. Blair? Hi. Um, just picking up on what Patrick was saying about hugging, um, that I don't know if people are aware of this, the butterfly hug, which was um, developed in, there was a, a, um, an earthquake in Mexico in 1998, I guess it was, um, or a hurricane, I guess, Hurricane Pauline. And some EMDR therapists developed this, this bilateral stimulation um, that was, um, yeah, that's, that's it. And it was, it was um, introduced to both kids and adults as a way to just calm, uh. calm the system down. Uh. Uh-huh, nice. You hug yourself as well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once we were in Hawaii and, and June was in a meeting and someone, what, what did they do, honey? They put some, they drew some fingers on the wall and then they, they rubbed themselves against the fingers or something. Do you remember that, what they did? Uh, yeah, they drew a big hand on the on the chalkboard and then just pressed themselves. They're giving themselves a pat on the back. Really <laughs> 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 funny. It was great. <laughs> if I can, just real quickly, the um, positive psychology literature is uh, rife with information about the positive values of hugging. And there's some studies that have said eight hugs a day, either to another or to yourself is extremely powerful, so. Okay. That's our prescription. 
It's free. <laughs> we have time for any to connect. Uh, we've got another 10 or 15 minutes if you want. Uh, I, I allowed some extra time. It's just important to connect. I think also important to connect. Uh, this Zoom allows us now to do things that we might not have thought of doing before, like connecting to family. That's maybe you have family that you don't normally aren't able to see, but you could now schedule a Zoom meeting with your family and all get together. Marvelous. Susan. Who? Susan. Where is Susan? I'm here. Oh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Bodie. <laughs> I thought I would take this opportunity to introduce <laughs> you all to Bodie. Hi, <laughs> Bodie. Bodie, there's people speaking to you from the flat screen in front of your face. Bodie. She's oh. a <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what kind of dog is Bodie, Susan? Uh, large. She's large. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, she's a hound. She it looks like she's part Great Dane, but she's just a hound. <laughs> and she's fabulous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyone else, anything to add? Robert? Um, I was just gonna add that I, uh, I saw a study, I, I read a lot of public health studies. I used to work in health communication in the legislature here. And um, lisinopril is the top drug for treating blood pressure, but you know what works better than lisinopril? Getting a dog or cat. Will actually lower your blood pressure more than taking the drugs. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting study. <laughs> so if we have no more to say, maybe we could, uh, yeah, Sensei? saw on the, there's a Zoom group chat and Orson uh, Morrison uh, left a note there um, for everybody about um, uh, she he developed a YouTube video for working with kids and families on coping. Right. So, yeah. Do we have? Do you do you have it, Hunt? Honey? Uh, yeah, I have it here. Um, so I'll save it. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. I wonder if we can all chant together. <laughs> it would be too chaotic. We could try. Uh, uh, you know, you're supposed to chant with your ears. So this would be a good exercise to see if we can actually do it somewhat together. You, uh, and it would mean that we would all unmute our microphones at the same time, <laughs> which, which could, be, uh, could be lead to chaos or it could lead to something. <laughs> We won't know. Yeah, let's find out. Yeah. No. Okay, so we're going to chant the four bodies off the bows to close. 
Okay. Without the bells. Does someone have a bell? If they have a bell, they could ring it. We have a, we have a bell. One moment. <laughs> We're getting the bell. See the Buddha Hall is in your hall. Here we go. Just three or one. Okay. One, one or three. I don't know. You just do whatever you do, and we'll follow you. Okay. I vow to free them can see that uh, that uh, counter on the north end of the Buddha Hall where the calligraphy is. Uh, we're leaving it there. But you don't have to go all the way in there. You could just leave it by the front door or the front desk if you want. And if you have the, the, the 
uh, code to the front door. You could just leave, come in and leave at any time. Or you could uh, contact Sensei or me and uh, give us a time to meet you and we'll, we'll receive it. Also, uh, I would like to mention that a uh, final thing is that we do need support. The Zen Center is not bringing in any money other than from members' dues and pledges. So if you uh, are able to, we really appreciate any financial support at the moment. Uh, you can make donations over through our website to PayPal, or you could just send us a check in the mail. We would really appreciate any financial support to help us get through this. Okay, please be well. And uh, if you hear of anyone in our community that needs help, please uh, don't hesitate to contact Sensei or myself. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Well. Bye. Roshi, you're going to post when you're doing the um, talk this week? Yes, I will. Okay. Yeah.